my goal this morning uh, really comes out of 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, And we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. <clears throat> um, I, I want for us to allow God's Spirit to speak to our spirit in the areas of our lives that need addressed. Um, I don't know your circumstances. I don't, <clears throat> um, and, and you don't really know mine much at all. And so what I hope that is happening is as we look at scripture this morning, um, that God allows, um, uh, that we allow God to speak into our spirits in the areas that need, uh, need challenge and need um, uh, change. I recognize that some of you are extremely hard workers. In fact, our church um, gets boasted about, our Willow Campus gets boasted about a lot from Dale and I regarding your guys' love for one another and the way you guys serve and help one another regularly. Um, but I also recognize that some of you are probably carrying heavy, heavier burdens than you ought to, whether it be here or at your homes, um, because, um, because the lack of help. Um, I recognize that some of you may be in a season of burnout and need time to rest. Uh, you may be weary and discouraged. But I also recognize that some of you might simply not be willing to do anything more than drink coffee that Ron made for us on the way in, which we do love. But um, I don't know which one of those categories you belong in. And my hope is that you'll hear my tone uh, seasoned with grace this morning, and I hope that you'll understand that there is no condemnation or shame. There is only correction and encouragement from the Lord. And so if there are areas, even if it's hard to hear, that maybe those are the areas that the Lord would speak to us about. I know that um, as a <clears throat> young dad, I, I found it very difficult to know how to be helpful at home. And so I would end up um, probably reverting to laziness out of just not knowing how to be present at home. And it took a lot of correction. And I was just saying, hey, I need your help doing this. I need you to help. I need you to participate in doing this before I started realizing, oh, okay, this is how you do this thing called um, parenting. So we all need correction. Um, it is not meant to be uh, seasoned with, with shame or uh, anything like that. It is meant to bring uh, encouragement and correction that we can enjoy our life together uh, more um, in, a, in a full manner. Um, I anticipate, though, this morning that those of you that are carrying major weight in, of responsibilities, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or in your homes, um, I imagine that uh, I anticipate that you'll find some hope in the, in the reality that God will bring you hope, God will bring you help, and um, that, uh, that he'll bring you relief at some point. I also hope that those that are weary here this morning and, and burdened um, hear the permission to rest for a season. And finally, I pray that those of you that are idle will not be shamed, but be challenged and convicted uh, to embrace the joy of serving alongside. Um, there's something about uh, serving and, and, and working hard together that brings about bonding. My brother-in-law is here and um, my wife's brother. We, he and I actually grew up <clears throat> together. Our parents were best friends and it didn't matter whose house we were at. 
we were working. <laughs> and uh, child, childhood for us was not so much a play as it was work. And so uh, we, learned, we learned the value of work. Um, and as, as hard of a worker as I would say both of us are, I, I know that I still struggle with the temptation to want to be lazy. I just, I want to be lazy. And I can justify laziness pretty easily. And so uh, my, my hope for us this morning is that we look into Scripture and say, okay, this is the, these are the things that we need to stay focused on. Do you realize that you're going to spend or have spent about 150,000 hours of your life working? That's 45 to 55 hours a week. So 35, 40% of your waking hours, unless you're retired here this morning, um, you're kind of groaning inside because that's a lot of hours. The fact is uh, that we'll spend more time working, commuting to work, thinking about work, and, and then we will eating meals or, or on vacation or playing on the weekends. Work is a huge part of our lives. In fact, it's a mandated part of our lives, mandated by God, that we are to subdue the earth. We were, as Dale mentioned first service, that we are actually called to work the garden before the curse came. Like work is a part of our lives and God cares about how we work in our lives. He can, he's concerned with that 40% or 50% of our lives spent laboring and working. So how do we honor God with our work. And Proverbs Solomon gives us several illustrations uh, regarding the animal kingdom and humanity. And today, our passage in Proverbs chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. He describes this little ant. And as he's speaking to the sluggard, and the sluggard is basically, uh, it refers to one who's lazy or idle, uh, careless, uh, unhelpful, critical, unproductive. That's who, that's who he's speaking to in regard to the ant. Now, I need to make certain we understand there's an enormous difference between someone who's unwilling and someone who's unable. A person can be unable to carry out a specific task due to physical or mental limitations, and that doesn't mean they're lazy. Um, parents, we would do ourselves well to know that our kids are really unable to do simple things like chores and things like that, at least in their minds. So we have to help them learn that they're actually capable. <laughs> um, but in all, in all reality, we all struggle with this, this um, uh, unwillingness in our own lives. There's things that we're just simply unwilling to do. And there's a big difference between being unable and unwilling to do. If a person is truly able, but simply unwilling, it could be due to laziness. So we need to keep that in mind as we read through. So Proverbs 6, 6, <clears throat> 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So we're told to go to the ant and consider her ways and be wise. So according to scripture, if we consider the ant, we can become wise. Now, I know what you're thinking when you hear ants, you think of those streams that go along every, every nook and cranny of your house where you don't want them and the, the destruction that they bring and the, the work it takes to get rid of them and the pleasure 
there is in killing ants. I mean, let's be honest. There is a pleasure in them. You know, we had the propane torches, the, the big ones. You find those ant piles and you just roast those babies. You know, like that. You, and you were saving, you were saving your house by killing ants. Maybe if I had considered their ways a little more, I would have made less foolish choices growing up. But I didn't. So now we get to look into the ant. Um, there are more than 11,000 different species of these tiny little studs. They don't just live together. They actually form colonies. It can range from uh, just a small handful to well over a billion of them in a single colony. And when we're talking numbers of, of total ants, we're talking like one quadrillion. That's one with 15 zeros, in case you were wondering. That's a whole lot of ants. Ants are, are underrated. They're, they're extremely powerful. Um, there are so many that if you were to weigh all the ants in the Amazon rainforest, they'd weigh in at four times the combined weight of every other creature in the jungle. Combined. So all the ants in the rainforest would weigh four times as much as all the other creatures in the rainforest combined. That's crazy when you think of ants, right? You don't think of, of the power of the ants, and yet this is a reality. See, the ants work in collaboration. They serve one another. They are participating in a life and a goal together. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus actually speaks to his disciples, and he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved us? He served us. He, he was involved in our lives. He, he, he sacrificed for us at cost to himself. He gave of himself. And so he says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one for another. So our work ought to be done in love. And when that work is done in love, people look at it like we would look at an ant colony and say, oh, these guys are up to something. That's why we see a few ants. We go, oh, I have an ant problem. We take care of it because we know that, that if left alone, they will accomplish what they set out to do. And we know they're devoted to what they set out to do. They help each other. They work together and help the weaker ones. If you've ever observed ants, you've seen ants carrying others back and forth. Galatians 6.2, Apostle Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Laziness is not helpful in any way. Help carry burdens. Be available for those in need. Rescue those who are caught in sin. The other thing they do is they, they operate in harmony. See, each of them has a job, but none is more important than the other. In fact, we, we're told that we're all, one, we're all members of one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, for just as the body is one and has many members, <clears throat> and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. See, there's power in unity. <clears throat> when the driver ant is on the moves, on the move, when he, when he begins to move the colony, there are 
um, predators that will run. That, I mean, we're talking ants that will wipe out villages, colonies of ants that come through and wipe out villages. In fact, um, some of these colonies are so large that they form a, form a front of up to 3,700 miles wide. I mean, that, it's, it's insane. We're talking full widths of countries. And, and nations that will begin to move. I mean, and you think like there is no possible way. And, and most of the ones we see are not this way, but you go to South America, you go to Africa and you'll see these sorts of things happening. They will come through and devastate entire villages. They're powerful. In fact, humans and animals don't stand a chance against these little beasts. And as, not, as obnoxious as they are, they get stuff done because they're committed to work and to unity. In fact, the, the power of the early church developed out of their unity and their commitment to one another. I think if the church today were to be united in that same way, put away our differences, our disagreements, forgive one another, stand together in the power of the spirit and each carry our own burden and help carry the, the, the help meet the needs of others, I think we'd see the same kind of movement. But what ends up happening is we just become individualized and try to do this life on our own, try to, try to accomplish these things on our own. Mark 3.25 actually says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There is no room for disunity in, in, in the church. It's just the simple fact. There's no room for disunity in relationships. There's no room for unforgiveness in relationships. And here's the reality of the world we live in. Give me long enough, I will give you a reason to need to forgive me. It might not even be that long, but I can promise you, give me some time, I will give you a reason to need to forgive me. You will give me a reason for me to need to forgive you. That is the, that is the reality of the church. That is the reality of this life we're called to live. But we must strive for unity. We must work towards that. We must overcome those offenses. We must do whatever it takes to remain in, uni in unity. They work towards a common goal. See, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. <clears throat> they work as a team, each accomplishing what their own roles are. Hebrews 13, 6, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We often spend a lot of our time wondering, well, how do I, how do I please God? Here's one way. Just share what you have. Be someone who is not just consuming, but contributing. See, the, the, you'll hear teachings about don't be consumers in church. Church culture often creates consumers good. We should consume from one another, but likewise, we should also contribute to one another. That we should be coming here receiving mutual encouragement. When I'm in need of help, I call someone and they're there to meet those needs. And when, when they're in need of help, I'm there to meet their needs. But oftentimes, if we're lazy, we end up just sitting back and being consumers only. When we're meant to have this interchange of, of needs being met between one another. 
The ant's work is productive. <clears throat> See, each ant does its own parts. And though thousands of ants, millions of ants may live in a single colony, every one of them pulls their own weight. In fact, soldier ants kill the ants who refuse to work. So that's an incentive to stay active. <clears throat> but in reality, that is the job of, of a soldier ant is to go and say, hey, you're not working. You're not, you're not going to be helpful to the mission. Now, we don't have soldier ants in church. Just to be clear, that's not, that's not how we operate. But there's a blessing you're missing out on on not being part of a team. And, and it will, it will it require sacrifice. It will require um, um, growth and it will require being challenged and all that stuff. But there is a great joy in working alongside people. We have everything necessary to, to fulfill the greatest commandment, which Jesus says, all the law is summed up in this. You love God with everything in you and you love others as I have loved you. We have everything to do that. Jesus is not using hyperbole when he talks about that. He, he is giving us a way, but it requires sacrifice. It requires forgiveness. It requires hardship. It requires not giving up. It requires doing anything it takes. And I think oftentimes, myself included, we want it kind of easy, we, we, don't, we don't think about when Jesus says, hey, and you young folks here this morning, hear me when I say this. If you're going to devote your life to Jesus, understand it comes at a cost. Jesus says no one builds a tower without counting the cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. Now, the cost is far greater to not fall. The cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship, but it does cost you. It costs you the ability to forgive when you feel entitled not to. It, it, require, it, it requires the, the, the sacrifice of your own comfort sometimes. It requires you to seek after the Lord and rely on him to forgive. If you're ever going to be in a, in a relationship, a healthy relationship, you cannot be successful in that without forgiveness. And how do you forgive? You better fix your eyes on Jesus. So this, this idea of, of life unified among the church. And, and, you know, I have friends that would say, oh, that's not really my thing. Uh, you know, I have faith. I just don't need church. I don't need, I don't need all the people around. That's just not, church isn't really my thing. And so they just say they have this private faith. And I, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to lie. There was, there was definitely a time that I'm like, man, give me a cabin in the woods and not a single soul around again. I still have faith. Um, but James actually calls that out in chapter two, verses 17 and 18. He says, so also, also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. But someone will say, well, I have faith or you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I need to clarify this here. If you ever hear a teaching, including from this pulpit, or you ever read something that teaches you, you must work and then God will be happy with you. God will love you. Reject it. And, and I want to be so clear on this because the idea with hard work and laziness, we can say, well, I'm just going to become a hard worker and that is my righteousness. It's not. The reasonable, natural, natural outflowing of an active faith is love that leads to works. We must understand love is the motivator for the works. Love is the motivator for the, our faith being activated in loving God, serving God, and serving one another. We do not earn our righteousness from our hard work, but hard work is the result of our faith being lived out in love 
to God and to, to others. Is that, is that understood? Like very clearly understood. We cannot get those mixed up. So we give, we serve, we, we sacrifice out of a love for God and for his people, not to gain love from God and from people. We have to get those, we have to get those right. But we have everything necessary to love God and love others. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? Obey me. Not if you obey me, you'll prove that you love me. What he actually says is, if you love me, genuinely love me, which requires faith, then the natural fruit of that is obedience. And what does obedience look like? Well, it is forgiveness. It's service to one another. It's sacrifice for one another. But we can serve, we can sacrifice, we can do all those things without a heart of love, and it is not accounted to us as righteousness. So the question is, do you believe that you have a part in this whole thing called church, called God's people, God's, God's family? Do you believe you have a part? I remember for years, I'd go to church and leave right after, just in and out, in and out. And finally I left, I, I was leaving one day and the worship pastor follows me out and he introduces himself and then it just begun striking up conversations. And here I'm like, I'm an idiot. I don't know much at all about the Bible. I don't know what, what is it serving people in church like that? That's weird. Why don't we just get together for a barbecue? Like I'll, I'll cook. You know, I, I had no idea what it was like to actually serve and be devoted to a body of believers. I had no idea. And it wasn't that I was lazy. I just didn't know. So he began, he, he chases Audra and I out of the doors and he and begins to build this relationship and tells us about different things and, and begins calling out like, hey, I think you'd be really awesome at this. Hey, you seem to like this. Hey, this, you know, and, and all these things. And it just developed over time into the knowledge of how to serve people in the church. And, I, and when I say in the church, I don't mean in the building. I mean, just be available for people. So the question is, do you believe that you have a part? And if so, are you willing to serve others out of love in unity? See, one of the more interesting of the ants is called the honeypot ant. He eats himself full of nectar and then goes and feeds the rest of the, the colony. His job isn't to build. His job isn't to kill. It's to support those who are doing those things. See, each job among the people of God is actually very important. You're important to God's work and to the work of this body of believers. And here, let me, let me make this clear too. It does not matter how broken of a past you have. In fact, if you have a testimony, you have something to share. If you've overcome brokenness, you have something to share. If you're in brokenness, you have something to share. If you have learned anything, you have something to share. If you've been a friend to someone, you have something to share. There is not a person. If you've been transformed in any way, you have something to share. This is the power of God working. And this is, not, this is not just for adults, young people. You guys are just as influential, if not more influential, maybe than a lot of adults are. You guys have things to share with one another. 
You have, you have experiences in life. You have experiences with Jesus that others here, right here, need to know about, need to hear about. So there isn't a person. It does not matter how broken you walk in here today. In It does not matter how, how messed up you think and how disqualified or unqualified you think you are in terms of, well, I'll never be a good servant of God. That's ridiculous. Read the Bible. You'll see the, the, the line of jacked up people over generation after generation after generation that led to the person of Jesus. Where we end up getting messed up is we don't believe that God wants to. We don't believe that we have anything because we're not good enough. We're not perfect. And let me tell you something, man. God is not waiting for us to clean ourselves up. He will do that work. It will be a struggle. It will be hard. But you know what? The more we, we are transparent about the difficulties we face, the more we realize that there are people probably sitting right next to us that are dealing with just as many difficulties in their life. That we all, have, we all have wounds, we all have things inside of us that we need help with. And this is the power of unity within the church. Jesus is the perfect one. Absolutely. He's the only perfect one. Even Dale and Frankie, as hard as it is to believe, are not the perfect ones. See? <laughs> and Frankie's like, amen to that. <laughs> but it's, it's true, we all have our part. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, ants stay at it, even in the difficulties. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is not talking about a a taking time to rest. I, I, I run a counseling ministry that is focused solely on learning how to rest well. I am all about rest, but we find rest for our souls as we labor in our bodies. We're called to labor. We're called to work hard. It is not a curse. Work is not the curse. And God and Jesus says, hey, I'll give you rest for your soul as you work. This is, this is talking about those who continually make excuses to not do anything. Much like we all can be at times, right? Galatians 6, 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. So Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due time, uh, for in due season, we will, we will reap if we do not give up. Why do, we, why do we grow weary of doing good? How about hurt? Unforgiveness? Enough times over and over of just feeling discouraged, saying, you know what? I didn't start out this marriage. I didn't start out this friendship. I didn't, I didn't start coming here thinking I was going to grow weary. But what happens over time is we let these 
We let these messages come in. We let unforgiveness take root. We let bitterness begin to take root. And then we say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. You learn it in marriage. It doesn't matter how healthy your marriage is. In fact, I would say you probably don't have a healthy marriage unless you've learned some of those hard lessons because you have to work through those. They're hard, you guys. The life together, because ministry is messy and ministry is humanity, like it's hard. We, we have to find forgiveness. And I'm telling you, one of the toughest things you'll ever have to do is jump into the pool of pain and meet Jesus in that moment. It is easier to stay out of the pool. It is easier to run. It is not more freeing, but it is easier to just run and, and, and keep running your whole life so that you don't have to deal with the pain of forgiving someone who wounded you. But if you don't want to grow weary in doing good, you're going to have to find a way to lean in that pain and forgive them. Because Jesus has forgiven us. And we are all still messed up. We all still are prone to, to do our own things. We're prone to our independence. We're prone to our own thoughts. We're prone to our own ways of doing things. I don't think we're all prone to leave the God we love. I think some of, some of us might be, but I think that we are all prone to wanting to do things our own way, saying, God, I actually don't need to forgive him. I can make do without it. And when we begin to let a bitter root take hold of us, then we begin to grow weary of doing good. See, there's a harvest to reap if we continue. And it might be the hardest thing we've ever done. I have every justifiable reason to never stand behind a pulpit again. I have every justifiable reason to not engage in church community anymore. The people I have been hurt most by in my life are people that have sat in the pews that I sat next to, in the seats that I sat next to. And you know what? I realized, what is the alternative? To run? Or as my friend said, Josh, try leaning in to the pain and seeing if Jesus will meet you there. And it's only in that pain that I've actually found the ability to move forward. I have friends who have bounced out after church wounds. I have friends that, that are, are nowhere near Christians that, that have left their faith because they just refuse to do the hard work of forgiveness. And here's the deal, just like marriages, just like church community, just like family life, it is hard work. Marriage is not for boys. Marriage is for men. Marriage is not for girls with, with this fanciful dream. Marriage is for women. And it's hard work. And it is impossible to succeed in that unless we have one another to learn from. I, I would be so lost without the guys in my life who have spoken really hard things into my life and encouraged me through those. And we need to be willing to hear those things. We need to be humble. We need to make sure that in our working together, that we are making ourselves available. We're not shirking back from our responsibilities as, as people, uh, members of one body, but we're actually coming and we're shaking up the faith of our friends. And they might be hard conversations to have, but we must be willing to do that. Hebrews 6, uh, 10 through 12, for, it, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. As we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope till the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know what they say in, in the counseling world? They say uh, people struggling with depression, they say the most effective way to help them out of a depressive episode is to get them doing something for somebody else. 
crazy. You would think, well, no, just get introspective, work through it, journal. No, it's actually get their, get their minds onto loving, onto service towards someone else. Now, there's an unhealthy attachment that can come with that. But the, the, first, re, the first response that, that is, is most effective for pulling someone out of a depressive episode is giving them hope of sacrifice. That's crazy, Right? The fact that I can go pour some pour myself out for someone else will actually bring me out of my own depression because it gives us purpose. It gives us a value. It helps us understand that, hey, the world isn't just right here. And I understand how all those dynamics are. Depression sucks. It's hard. Relationships are hard. It's dark and it's, it's scary. And, and we have an enemy that is not just looking to distract us from our mission. He's looking to destroy our very lives. He's not looking to break friendships. He's looking to, to destroy everything in our life. He's not looking to break up a marriage. He's looking to destroy and kill the person. He's looking for them to curse God. That's what our enemy wants. He wants you and I hurting each other. He wants our marriages torn apart. He wants our kids hating who we are. He wants us operating out of unforgiveness because because when we are disunified, he has won. When we have cursed God, he has won. We have said, you know what? Forget it, God. I've, I've trusted you. I'm done. That's when Satan wins. He doesn't have to, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he doesn't have to get us to do anything particularly sinful. He just has to get us to act in our own independence. And he's won. And it's a killer. And we have to understand that there is a war being waged on us. There is no room for laziness in God's people. I was at a men's conference several years ago, maybe 2007, 2008. And um, the, the speaker gets up and he puts his hands like this. And I'm like, oh, what is going on here? And he says, in regard to, in regard to um, <clears throat> the idea of, of not growing weary, he said, he said here, here's what happens. The world, we are constantly being discipled. There's no neutrality for, for, for humanity. We are always being discipled towards something. The world is constantly pushing at us. So the minute we, we have a little folding of the hands, a little sleep, a little slumber, the world is right there in an instant ready to overtake us. It's already trying to push. It's already pushing on the war against our children. It's already pushing on our marriages. It's already pushing on getting us too busy to enjoy a relationship with God. He's already pushing on us in unforgiveness. We have got to constantly be submitted and surrendering ourselves to the discipleship of Jesus or we will be overtaken in an instant. And I was like, man, and just that little back and forth for him, that, that rocked my world for, since 2008. I'm, al I'm always thinking like, man, what am I be being discipled to? What am I allowing myself to be discipled to? Bitterness, entitlement, unforgiveness, worldly desires? Or am I saying, no, I'm gonna submit myself to God as hard as that is. And that's the only thing that led me into deciding to lean into the pain of, of people that have wounded me. It's the reality that, you know what? The alternative is destructive, and I don't want that. The ant's work has purpose. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, uh, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, in everything we do, we need to walk with resolve. We need a purpose in our hearts that nothing short of death or Christ's return is going to keep us from this labor. 
We have to resolve to be with him. This, this John 15 remaining or abiding life, we have to resolve to remain with him in our praying, in our giving, in our serving, in our witnessing, and even in our resting. See, ants prep for the future. They believe in winter, and by instinct, they prepare for it. And we prepare for this life. We want to have savings. We want to have insurance, retirement, all this stuff. What about death? Do we prepare for death? See, many men and and women believe in life after death. They just don't do anything about it. There's no preparation for it. I think sometimes it's out of laziness. It's It's out of spiritual laziness. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that that God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, a passage that's been really stirring me up lately is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was moments away from dying, had no biblical foundation, had no works of righteousness, had no theology in place. He just simply believed in the forgiveness Jesus offered him in that moment. The gospel is simple. We overcomplicate it because we want to to allow ourselves to earn the right to the gospel. We want to have enough theology and understanding to validate, okay, now I believe that I'll be saved. I'm not dismissing uh, knowledge. I'm not dismissing works at all. I, I think there is value. Faith will lead in love to works, and I think there's value in growing in knowledge. But at the end of the day, the thief on the cross was with Jesus in paradise because God loved the world in that way that he gave Jesus for people like him. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So I don't know some of you here this morning. I don't know where you're at in your faith, but I would challenge you and say, if you are a person who has not put your faith in Jesus Are you ready to wake from your slumber? There is a life. It is difficult, but so is the life without Christ. Christ gives us life. You're going to have unforgiveness either way. You're going to have temptations for unforgiveness. You're going to have wounds. You're going to have difficulties in life. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have relationships. Whether you put your faith in Christ or not, what Christ does He doesn't come in and make life easy. He makes life success. He gives us success in the things that we need success in. He gives us the ability to forgive, to sacrifice, to love. So whether you're lazy physically or lazy spiritually, you're missing out on the joy of serving God, of loving God, and the strength you gain by serving your fellow man. To the followers of Christ here today, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'll tell you one thing, some transparency here. If there was a proverb, that I, two proverbs that I would have, I would like to have talked to God and asked him why he didn't put in there. I'm not going to challenge him on it. Would be idle hands are the devil's workshop. And you, you can lead a horse to, to water. You can't make him drink. 
Those two things I have found in my own life, like, man, my idle hands are, are dangerous. I have to be putting, I have to have vision. Without vision, actually scripture says, without vision, men perish. And here's the truth about leading a horse to water and you can't make him drink. You guys can know all these things. We can know the type of, of life that Christ calls us to live, but the reality is you have to make the choice. I, I, I deal with this in marriage counseling. Like you can only counsel someone in so many ways unless they're willing to do whatever it takes. It, it doesn't matter. So we have to decide. We have to resolve. Just like Joshua said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I have decided this day. And it's the choice we make with the empowerment of God to help us carry those things out. See, the problem with laziness is it leads to atrophy of the spirit, it leads to atrophy of the mind, and it leads to atrophy of the body. So we exercise those things in our life. We exercise them that we, not, we don't live lives of atrophy, but of power. I'll have the worship team come up. See, there's a great spiritual poverty belonging to those that are idle. <laughs> you're essentially robbing yourself of growth and robbing others of the gifts that God's given you to contribute to the needs of others. And I hope we're at least as wise as the ant. Maybe not as powerful yet, but we'll get there. But I hope we're at least as wise as the ant. And I want us to ask ourselves these questions this morning. Are your daily choices increasing or decreasing your affection for Jesus? If you live by that question, you will grow in ways that you probably will have never imagined growing in. If you're constantly asking yourself, I have permission. Like Paul says, all things are lawful. Not all things are beneficial. So the question is, is what I'm doing or what I'm not doing increasing or decreasing my affection for Jesus? Because remember, we're always being discipled to something. So is what we're gauging in increasing our affection for Jesus and, and discipling us more into his likeness or decreasing and discipling us into the world's likeness? Laziness and apathy will never increase your affection for Jesus. And in the same way, those of you that are hard workers, those of you that are weary, those of you who are doing too much because of others not helping you in your life, in the same way, neither will running around thinking that the more you work, the more acceptance and love you'll get from God. Because here's the truth about both of those. You will be, whether you're a sinner or a saint, whether you're saved or unsaved here this morning, you will never be more loved than you are right here in this moment. I do not care. It does not matter. If you think you are a sinner, have you murdered Christians? Have you slept with your best, best friend's wife and then had him killed? I mean, I can keep going all throughout scripture showing these types of, of guys that they have not out the cross of Christ. It is, we are loved while we are sinners. Christ died for us. He loved us in our sin. He just loves us, as the saying goes, too much to leave us there. So I want you to hear me, young people, old folks, Dale, even, I just don't want to put you in with the old folks. <laughs> we will never be more loved than we are right here in this moment. So what is our response to that? That's the gospel. People didn't have a problem with Jesus. Sinners didn't have a problem with Jesus. It was the religious 
who thought that their works were earning them righteousness that had the problem with Jesus. People loved, sinners loved the message of Jesus. That when they got that, when they grasped, and this is for us here this morning, when we grasp the reality that we are not any, we will never be more loved than we are right here, no matter what we walked into this room with, no matter what kind of, and I know the kind of mornings that can happen on the way to church. I know the yelling, I know the frustration, I know all those things. I know the types of weeks we can have and then come in here and I'm telling you right now, God is not surprised. God is not looking to love some future version of us. He loves us right where we are at right now. And if you understood that, if we can grasp that and tattoo it into our hearts, we would say, okay, then I am loved. I am not a failed attempt at a, at a follower. I am loved by God. I am loved by Jesus. So my response to that is acceptance of grace. Myself, forgiveness for others who need grace. If that is at the core of us, if we grasp the reality that you and I will never be more loved than we are right here in this moment, it will change your entire world. It's just the truth. So here's our response as we come. We come to him. It's the only place to go. We come to him with that feeling of like, no, no, Josh, you, you don't know what I, just, what I just spent my week doing. You don't know the thoughts that are rolling around in my mind. You don't, you don't know. Nope, it doesn't matter. Take them to him. I don't know, but I know the grace of God. I know the feelings of feeling like you're not worthy. And I know that, that the devil would like nothing more than to present us before God unworthy. In fact, the high priest Joshua in, I think, Zechariah, when, when Satan brings the high priest Joshua before God and he says, look at Joshua is, is, is dressed in filth. And God says, who are you? He looks at Satan, who are you to judge another man's servant? Be gone. And then he goes and tells Joshua, he says, Joshua, go put clothes on rightly, for, appropriate for your role, for who you are. It wasn't con condemning. Joshua needed some change. He needed some correction, but it wasn't the enemy's job to condemn him to God. It was God's job to change in a gracious way, not condemn. And you and I, yeah, we're, we're messed up. We need some things changed in our lives. Okay, God's not surprised by that. If you're lazy, okay. Bring that to the Lord and go, God, I just, I, I'm lazy. Okay, help me, God. Help me not be lazy. Give me opportunity. Show me that it's worth investing in the lives of other people. If your life is filled with anxiety and, and riddled with, with just being busy and running around doing everything and never saying no to anything and never making time for the Lord, good, take that to him and say, God, I'm not comfortable saying no to people. I'm not comfortable not being busy, but would you help me be? I'm too young, God. I'm too old, God. I don't know enough, God. Take those to him. There will never be a person behind this pulpit that will be able to answer those questions for you. But I know that the Spirit of God can break through the thickest walls of hearts. So we confess our sins. We devote our heart, our soul, mind, and strength to God first. And then begin serving and loving others and thus prove to be his disciples. I'd like you to stand with me as we close in worship. And um, I don't know where, where you're at, what you're struggling with, this morning, um, I know that God listens when it doesn't feel like he does. I know that God answers in his timing and in his way. I also know, though, that sometimes we just need a friend to pray with because our faith is weak. 
So I want to invite you, if you need prayer, maybe Dale and Frankie, if you guys could be available. Audrey, anyone else that wants to um, come up and pray? John, Lexi, um, if you guys want to be available for praying, um, here's the reality. You don't have to come for prayer. You can struggle again. You can try to do life on your own again this week, and God will love you just as much next week. What he wants is to give you life and life abundantly. Sometimes we just need to humble ourselves and be like, all right, God, here I am. I'm jacked up. I messed up, and I need, I need help. I'm going to close with this, Roman, this Romans passage that Paul says in uh, 12 verses 11 through 13, speaking to the church. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Doesn't say circumstances. He says rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So whatever you're struggling with this morning, it is not worth another week of striving. So bring these things before the Lord and watch him do the transforming work in you. Why? Because you are never loved more than you are right here in this moment. Let's worship.